You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. James, because for many of the other apostles, and we'll sort of comment a little bit about John, which was the brother of James, he lived for another 60 years. So, you know, there's quite a discrepancy uh, between James and his brother John. But I just want to flash that scene up, just to remind ourselves, sometimes standing for Christ doesn't necessarily mean uh, a long life. And for James, of course, his life was cut very short. So, you know, one of our little initial points is that it's not the length of service that we give to Christ. Sometimes we look at older brothers and sisters in our ecclesia, and yes, they've been faithful, they've made a good stand, and we think that's where I want to be. Well, you might not get that opportunity because we never know how long life will be. So it's the depth, really, of our love for Christ that we want to, to capture. And for James, his life was cut very, very short. He's the first apostle, the only apostle, to actually die for Christ in the New Testament. So quite a unique record. So it's not the length of our service, it's the depth of our love for Christ. So we've got a a confronting, I guess, exhortational point right at the very beginning as we get a snapshot of the life of James. And the lesson for that is don't wait till you're older and fall in love with Jesus Christ. Because for many of us as young people, we're thinking, well, you know what? I'll sort my life out when I'm, you know, 25 or 35 or 45 I'll get things in order. You might not have that time. And this is the important exhortation, I think, of the life of James. And I'm going to refer to a couple of James this night because there's a number of them in the New Testament, so we really need to sort out, you know, which James we're talking about. But, of course, James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, in James chapter 4 and verse 15, won't go there, but there's a little comment that he's got. Uh, He says, we need to do things God-willing because what's your life? It's just like a vapour... It comes very quickly and it just evaporates, it passes away. That's his summary of life. When we're young, we don't sort of think that. But I have a list of names, a number of names of young people whose lives were cut short. They died as teenagers or maybe in their early 20s. I've got that list 
right against James 4 verse 15 to remind me that, you know, we don't know what, how long our life is going to be. There are no particular guarantees. And so whether that's sickness or accident, I don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow, next week, next month. So the immediate exhortation of the life of James is let's get ourselves in order. And we have to deal with the circumstances of life and we don't always get choices. You know, in your own lives, you don't necessarily have a particular choice as to, you know, who your parents were or who your brothers and sisters were or where you were born or you might have a physical disability. They're things that we don't get choices about. And there are things in life that we have to deal with. You'll notice here in Acts chapter 12 that was our reading, uh, when you cast your eye across to verse um, 11, it's quite confronting because James has just lost, lost his life. But when we come to verse 11, uh, Peter gets released. He was put into prison. Oh, we didn't read the rest of the chapter, and I'm presuming that you guys sort of uh, know what that chapter is all about. But Peter was released. So we've got uh, some sort of confronting and challenging situation where on one hand James had his life cut short but of course Peter had his life extended. He was released from prison. Why? How? how? Is that fair? Is it understandable? Not always. And because we're all different, because we're all unique, we have to be accepting of the different circumstances that we have. Our parents, our ecclesial life, uh, our, our attributes that we've got perhaps... They're all unique and they're all different. And we have to accept the will of God in our lives. And whether that will be a long life or a short life, we've got to make the most of our life in standing up for Christ. Now, I don't pride myself as, as, as a great card gamer, uh, but some of you might play 500. And I always think that's sort of interesting because you get dealt a number of cards and the point is you've got to play those cards. You can't just throw them down and say, well, I'm not playing the game because it's just not fair. In fact, if you get a handful of four or fives, it's actually quite good because you can save them as there. But, um, you know, you've, you've got to deal with the cards that you have in your hand, and that's life. And for James, he made the most of whatever cards he had in his life. He used them in, in a wise way, an accepting way. So God, in his wisdom, uh, deals our certain circumstances in life that we've got to handle. And he wants us to focus, to appreciate with what we have, than looking at everyone else and thinking, well, I don't have that, so it's not fair. So this is an uh, initial thought and, and an exhortation lesson in the life of James. So the one great benefit that we all have as young people, or whether we're James or whether we're Peter, is the inestimable privilege of knowing God's truth. You know, what a great privilege we had, as, as Judah mentioned in his prayer. As young people, we can come together in a youth group. Not everyone in the world has uh, the resources that we have. What a great opportunity that we have. What a privilege of knowing God's truth, God's plan, God's moral values are important, God's future, and accepting that whatever the will of God is in our lives, that gives us a great perspective to use these opportunities now. So let's uh, straight away, I only want to read two verses, so boom, we get that lesson about, you know, what are we going to do with our lives. Now James is particularly unique because, as I've already said, he's the only apostle in the New Testament whose death is recorded, died for Christ. Now, I know, obviously, Stephen was, but he was an apostle, but James certainly was. So here in James, uh, oh, sorry, James, Acts 12, verse 1, we learn about James, and there's a bit of a time marker. All right, Chronologically, uh, we notice in verse 1, it says, Now about that time, Herod the king. Now, we can put a time marker right on that. This is between AD 41 to 44 because Herod Agrippa I was king 
from AD 41 to 44. So there's immediate time after we sort of get a bit of a chronology of where we are in the time span. So it's fairly early in the piece. We can imagine, well, obviously James is the younger brother or half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died when, you know, around about AD 30, 33. So James is a little bit younger than that. So he's probably maybe mid-30s, young in my book, maybe old in yours. But, um, you know, this is the time marker anyway. The record says in verse 1, now about that time. We're going to say, well, you know, what time? So what's really interesting is we've got to wind back to the context of chapter 11 because this is, you know, the time period that the narrative is all about. And when we turn back the page, we'll see, you know, there's a great buzz of excitement going through Jerusalem. Chapter 11 and verse 18 uh, really is the opening of the gates to the Gentiles and the realisation now that Cornelius has come into the truth that now Gentiles can accept the truth as well. Previously, it was exclusive to the Jews. And now uh, the brethren say in verse 18 of chapter 11, it says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and they glorified God, saying, Well, now the Gentiles also can have acceptance for the repentance unto life. And so the gates are now uh, open for Gentiles to be absorbed into the ecclesia. There's going to be a massive preaching effort now that's just going to be spreading all over that area. And, And verse 19 and verse 20 go on to talk about a scattering of brothers and sisters who are now preach, standing up for Christ, preaching the gospel, opening the gates for the Gentiles to come in. This is the major point of excitement in the record. So there's an explosion now that happens as people go out to stand up for Christ and to preach the gospel. And the ecclesia up in Antioch, which is developing, of course, was so impacted by this, that you notice in verse 30 of chapter 11, uh, or verse 29, says the disciples... Uh, sent every man according to his ability. They wanted to send relief to the brethren in Judea. So the ecclesia in Jerusalem, they're going to send uh, financial support down to the ecclesia in Jerusalem. This is the Antioch ecclesia, Gentile ecclesia, because there's this great spirit of excitement as the truth now spreads abroad. And verse 30 says, which they did uh, by uh, and sent it to the elders, the elders in Jerusalem, by the hands of, now this is important, Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul, now think about this. We know the man Saul, we know his background, we know he's a persecutor of Christianity in its early days. Barnabas is there as well. They're up in the ecclesia of Antioch. They're coming down to Jerusalem to give of the abundance of the Gentiles financial support. We notice in chapter 12, verse 25, it says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. So I'm just setting the context. So we know that Saul, or brother Paul, and Barnabas are in Jerusalem in this place as they hear the news of James's execution. And particularly when we look at verse 12 of Acts chapter 12, uh, basically the ecclesia, the group, is in the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. John Mark was related to Barnabas. So they're in the house. Here's this man, well, brother Paul, Barnabas, and the ecclesia is all together in that house and they're, they're shattered they're shattered with what's going on. This is, this, is not un, this is unexpected. The gospel had been opened now to Gentiles. They're all excited. Suddenly, James is executed and Peter's put into prison and he's going to be executed as well. So you can imagine how Saul, brother Paul, felt in Jerusalem amongst the brothers and sisters in that house at that time because he wrote about his history. He said, I persecuted the ecclesia of God. 
I imprisoned them, I dragged them off, I ravaged families. So think about how Paul felt when he heard the news of the execution of James. You know, Paul is amongst brothers and sisters who are crying because their beloved brother James has just been beheaded. And they're praying now that Peter might be saved. And the whole ecclesia is confounded and shattered. And right in the midst of them is a brother who once was a brutal persecutor of Christianity. And he's now holding hands with the brothers and sisters and he's praying with them for the release of Peter. It's like the flip side of the life of the Apostle Paul, isn't it? So here's our second point of, of thoughtfulness, our, our, our challenge. God can do amazing things with our lives. Just looking at this chapter, where Paul was, the execution of James, Peter maybe, you know, they didn't know at this particular time. God can do amazing things with our lives. The death of someone that's near to us, and it might be our own age or maybe someone older, can give us a wake-up call to get serious about life. Now, you know, for some of us, we've lost Uncle Bruce Good a week or two ago. And again, you know, he's obviously an older brother, but, you know, we've got to really seriously think about life. Uh, And I say to you young people, you know what? If you're thinking about baptism, go for it. Because the world's got to a, a certain point now where it's just chaotic on a moral scene, on an environmental scene, on a social scene. It's just chaotic. So if you're going to think about baptism, I say go for it. And if you're baptised already, I say get involved in ecclesial activities. Camp, Sunday school, put your hand up. Because you never know when the book of life is going to be closed. And for James, in chapter 12 and verse 2, his life was closed off. And we would think that he was just riding a wave of gospel extension now that was going far and wide to the Gentiles. God closed the book. So, as young people, we never know when our book is going to be closed. Now, the other thing that's really interesting in verse 2 is a little comment here, which we miss when we're reading the narrative. It says, and he killed James. Well, okay. And it says, the brother of John. I've got that circled in my Bible because it shows a very strong connection. I'm just going to unpack this in a minute. Between James and John. They're blood brothers, okay? So they're both connected together. And I didn't know this, but in the research that I conducted over the last week or so, I was surprised how strong that relationship is. So there's a whole pile of quotes when you type in, you know, basically James. There's a whole lot of quotes that come up, and you'll see that every single time it says, James, the son of Zebedee, and it adds, and John, his brother. Here it is again, and John, his brother. And you go through the narrative right through our quote, and just about every single time when there's a reference to James, it appends, well, and John was his brother. So, you know, I don't know what your perception of Scripture is, but I always thought the Apostle John was sort of like up here. You know, Peter and John basically here. But when you look at the narrative, it's almost the other way around. It's like James. Oh, and well, John was his brother. So it's, it's showing the importance of, of James. And not only that, it connects him with John and they're, they're like poles apart as far as their life story is concerned. Because James had his life cut short and John was the longest, his brother, was the longest living apostle, lived through to 80, 96 and beyond. So John had another 60 years on top of his own blood brother. So again, you know, we're thinking, 
Well, how does that make sense? Why didn't James have a long life? Well, that's all in the wisdom of God, and he closed the book when he felt it was appropriate. And for ourselves, we don't know when that's going to be. But these two brothers were very powerful together. But the point I'm trying to make is John had to go out alone. All right, it says it was, he was the brother of John. John had to go alone, in a sense, you know, without his brother, who he obviously loved, for another 60 years. So the point for us is sometimes we're going to have to go alone in life. I mean, I know we've got a buzz here and there's a lot of young people and it's great to have all the friendship and the social interaction, that's great. But there are things and courses and pathways and decisions in life we have to make our own decision. It's called standing for Christ. And John had to do that. And he ended up, in some senses, there were times of great loneliness on the island of Patmos. He was alone there. He was exiled to Patmos. He had to stand up for Christ on his own. We don't know how that's going to affect us. Great that we can be here in a great environment, but you're going to have to make a stand somewhere for Christ. And maybe that's at school, at uni, at work, maybe in your family, maybe in your ecclesia. So as individuals, you know, that, that's where we're at. So, of course, all these quotations talk about selection of friendships, and that's great because, you know, they have a positive impact to us. Good friendship is really good. But I want to think, you know, I want you to think about who you're close to and what influence they have upon you. For James and for John, they had a good positive influence on each other and that was to last their lifetime. So close friendships, where are we at with our friendships? Are we choosing wisely? This little comment says you've got to be, you constantly ask yourself these questions. Who am I around? What are they doing to me? What have they got me reading and what have they got me watching? What have they got me saying? Where do they have me going? What do they have me thinking? And most important, what do they have me becoming? Because we do influence each other in our, in our friendships. Then ask yourself the big question. Well, is that okay? Am I happy where I'm at? Because your life doesn't get better by chance, it gets better by choice. We've got to make right choices. And here it very clearly says James, and he was the brother of John, Blood brothers, spiritual brothers, supportive of each other while they had those opportunities. So John didn't walk away from God saying unfair. When you think about it, these two brothers, imagine John's perspective. He's just seen his own brother executed. He could have thrown everything down and say, if that's life in the truth, not for me, I'm away with it. He didn't do that. He maintained his stand for Christ for another 60 years and in some senses he was walking you know, without his other blood brother. So that resolution has to be part of our constitution as well. Well, we notice in the narrative, we'll actually go to verse 3, amazing, of Acts chapter 12, so we're going beyond our reading. Might be a bit confronting. Uh, verse 3 says, Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he, he took Peter. Now, just have a, bit, a think about this. <clears throat> Herod Agrippa wants to impact the early ecclesia. So he's going to choose the most out-there, forthright person and execute them to have an impact on the ecclesia. So James wasn't a light behind-the-scenes brother who was very quiet and very timid. You know, he just sort of never said anything. He just tip tiptoed around life. And Herod said, I'll take that guy because he's the easiest. No. He took the most forthright individual in the ecclesia because he wanted to give a lesson to the Jews. And it's going to please the Jews because they, he silenced James. Now, we would have thought, you know, John, maybe Peter, and Peter's number two, but James at the top of the list. So it indicates 
that James was an out there sort of a person, although when we look through the gospel records, you know, it doesn't really say much, but he was very forthright. We know that because in Mark 3.17, he won't go there, Jesus called John and James the sons of thunder. All right? Now, we used to do a new house about 12 months ago and there was a storm coming through. We're up to sort of lower hills. There was a storm coming through and I wandered out the back thinking, oh, I wonder what this will be like, you know, a bit of lightning and stuff. And I remember standing out in the backyard and there was this amazing flash of lightning and before I knew it, there was this massive crack of thunder which just about blew me, <laughs> blew, blew me out of my shoes. It was just absolutely frightening and terrifying. So when Jesus calls them the sons of thunder, he doesn't mean, oh, you know, you're nice guys and quiet and you're polite to everyone. He means they're out there and they're, they're confronting people. So that's James, who doesn't really say much in the record, but he must have been a very out there sort of person, and John. So these were special people. And I just want to come back to Mark chapter 10 because this will illustrate how forthright James actually was. And again, you know, he's not a, a, an apostle that we... We get many talks about, plenty of talks about Peter, plenty of talks about John, but when it comes to James, well, we don't really get a lot about, even although he's a very forthright apostle. So here's an illustration how that works. Mark chapter 10, and I go to verse 32. So Mark 10 and verse 32, we're days away from the crucifixion, and Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Verse 32 says, And they were in the way going to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed and they followed. Now, there's a little key theme here. You might, if you haven't got it coloured in, three references to follow me. End of verse 21, come take up the cross and follow me. End of verse 28, Peter said, we've followed you. And then in verse 32, halfway through, and they followed him. So this is the point of the disciples. Jesus was the leader, and he's heading to Jerusalem. Now, the disciples know there's going to be, it's not going to be a good outcome when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. So they're going to try and dissuade Jesus from going to Jerusalem. But verse 32 says they're going to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them. Right? He, he, he's facing crucifixion. He's not hanging back. He's going before them. And that's why the record says they were amazed and they followed and they were afraid. Now, King James is not really good. What's it, amazed? What does that mean? So the Greek word is thambio, and it means to stupefy with surprise. The disciples were stupefied. They were amazed. Well, I'm using the word amazed again, which just was not appropriate, but they were astounded. Um, the same word is used in verse uh, 24, when Jesus was talking about rich people. Verse 24, the disciples were astonished. It's that word astonished there. Same word is used in Acts 9, verse 6, when Paul's on the way to Damascus, and he's thrown on the ground and the record says, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? So we sort of get the gauge that when Paul was on the ground and everything's you know, going haywire, that he, he was just thrown completely off balance. And the disciples are like that. They see Jesus heading to Jerusalem. They can't believe it. What's going on? They were filled with alarm. And there's a reason why, and here's another colouring exercise, in verse 33 and 34, look at these action words. Because they knew all about this. Jesus said, uh, the Son of Man, here they come, he's going to be delivered, he's going to be condemned. Verse 34, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be spat upon, he's going to be killed. All right, so, you know, there's a, there's a big, big bunch of ac action words right in those two verses. 
So the disciples know all this and they're thinking, we don't want this to happen, but Jesus is heading into Jerusalem. Now, in that context, you'll be thinking, what's the link to James? Well, yes, in that context, verse 30, well, verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came and they said, Jesus, we want to ask you a question. He says, yeah, okay, what do you want? Verse 37, we want to sit on your right and left hand in the kingdom. Now, in that context, that is incredible standing up for Christ. That's incredible fortitude. That's incredible courage. Right? So I'm trying to highlight where James is at because there's not a lot of said about him. So James and John say, we know what's ahead of you and we want to be on the right and left hand side of you in your glory and in your kingdom. You know, that's, pretty, that's very challenging, isn't it? Because where do you want to be in the kingdom? Like, you know, we all say, oh, the kingdom's going to be a great place. I want to be there. Well, where do you want to be? Do you want to sit on the right and left-hand side of the Lord Jesus Christ? And we say, oh, no, you know, I'm too humble for that. I just want to be, uh, you know, a little doorkeeper or something. I'll be fine with that. Well, that wasn't good enough for James and it wasn't good enough for John. They wanted to be alongside Christ in his kingdom. Is that some commitment that we could make? Like, is that a bit challenging? Because if you really love someone, you want to be alongside them, Right? We marry people because we want to live with them. We want to be with them. So if you really love Jesus Christ, you would want to be with Jesus Christ on his right and his left-hand side. So that's where James and John were in their commitment for Christ. And he had, for James, he had a commitment above and beyond everybody else. He said, look, I know that all these disciples are all faithful. They've been in the kingdom, but we want a special position and we're going to work towards that. Well, Jesus said, hey, you know what? Um... Verse 38, you don't really know what you're asking. Um, can you drink of the cup and be baptised with the baptism? Like, life is going to be tough for you guys. Do you really know what you're asking? And I love the, the two words they reply with in verse 39. I got them circled in my Bible. Um, it's the word we can. Yes, we can. I'm going to give you a pile of quotes that say that's the sort of attitude that we need to have as individuals, as young people. We're going to achieve the kingdom. We can do it. Not on our own strength, obviously, but with the help and support of God. But here's the commitment of James with his brother John. I want to be on the right hand and left hand side in the kingdom and I'm going to do that and we can do that. So let's not set our level of, of, of commitment too low. You know, let's set it that we love Jesus Christ so much, we want to be as close to him as possible in the kingdom because he's the person, he's the centre of our lives. So we can. Well, obviously, Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So there's a cooperative labour, isn't it? I mean, we're not going to do it on our own, but we can do it with the help and support of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism, living a life in God. That's the, that's the way, that's the pathway. Numbers 13, verse 30. Remember all the... The, the spies, the unfaithful spies came back with a really bad report saying it's too hard, we're not going to do it. I mean, the giants in the land, how can we do this? Impossible. And Caleb and Joshua say, we can do it, we can do it. Great faith. Paul in, in the New Testament, Romans 8, says that there's nothing that's going to separate me from a love of Christ. So there's a lot going on in life. He talks about famine and drought and sword and pestilence and all those sorts of things. But he says, we can do all things through Christ. And that's not going to be separating. It's not going to, no circumstance in life is going to separate me from my relationship with Christ. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says, don't lose heart. 
Yeah, there are going to be tough challenges in life. We all get that. But let's not lose heart because there's a bigger perspective of where we're going in life. So, you know, yeah, there's some things that are challenging, but we look beyond that to the things that are unseen. We have a bigger perspective to life than most people. Ephesians 3.20, out of him he's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Can you imagine yourself in the kingdom? Of course we do. It's where we want to be. Well, God's going to be able to multiply that above and beyond what we've imagined for ourselves. That's a, that's a fantastic quote. It's a real quote. Psalm uh, 20, 27 verse 12, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Who, who am I going to be afraid of? Are going to take my life? No, it's going to be resurrected and I'm going to be rebuilt into a, a person that can honour and glorify God for eternity. That's where I want to be. And Isaiah 41 verse 10, don't fear. Yeah, there will be challenges in life. There'll be times when you'll be disappointed in yourself or other people or people around you. But God's going to be with you. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you. They're a great set of quotes to put in that little verse uh, 39. We can. We can do it. And this is the level of the faith of James. So, question. Do you have enough faith? Do you have enough commitment for another year? For another five years? For another ten years? For 20 years? For 30 years? Do you have that commitment to faithfully serve the Master, if that's your opportunity? A determination to stand up with Christ so that you can be along the King of alongside the King of Glory. Well, that's where we've got to be at. That's the level that James sets, and he encourages us in that as well. You notice as well in verse 38, there's a couple of elements there that Christ talks about. He says to these two great brothers, blood brothers, he says, you know what you're asking because can you drink of the cup and can you be baptised? Now, when you think of these two elements, drinking of the cup is a continuous process, right? You don't just sort of glug it down in one mouthful normally. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a continuous process. If we're having a drink, you know, we have a, a little bit and drink. So it's a continuous process. But baptism is a one-off thing. So these two brothers actually fulfilled that. The cup of suffering for John was a very continual... Pro it was a long, continual process. And as we said, he ended up AD 96 on the Isle of Patmos. So he was drinking that cup and he fulfilled that and he'll be with Jesus Christ. James, in that sense, had the one-off baptism. There was one event, it was his death, and he faithfully submitted to it. I mean, baptism is a symbol, a symbol of death, isn't it? And James lived that. So it's sort of interesting that Jesus, in verse 38, used those two elements which actually had their fulfilment in the lives of James and John. Now, when we come across to verse 41, there's a bit of an argument now as to, you know, well, who's going to be the greatest? Verse 21, and I, I love the figures here, when the ten heard of it, they were displeased with James and John. So let's have a think about this. Two brothers, James and John, sons of thunder, who were up against Peter and another nine, ten to two. And James and John can take off the, can take on the other ten disciples, including Peter. So it sort of illustrates the level of the robustness with which these sort of men had, had a relationship. James... And John was strong and they were outspoken. As I say, they challenged Peter and other nine disciples. So James, of course, 
I'm hoping I'm painting a bit of a picture of like, well, he wasn't just a reticent person to gospels who tiptoed around and we never really heard much about him. He's actually like up at number one as far as his robust confirmation of a standing up for Christ is concerned. And he'll take on Peter and another nine disciples alongside his brother. Pretty amazing. So we're not going to go here, but of course, uh, James is, is very unique in his relationship with Christ. And what's interesting, and you'll know this anyway, uh, Luke 22, 38, won't go there. But remember in Gethsemane, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying there's going to be a time of great difficulty. And they said, Lord, here are two swords. Remember they said, Lord, here are two swords. Uh, same chapter, verse 30, 49, it says, they which were about him saw what would happen. They said, Lord, will we smite with our swords, plural? So we know Peter had a sword, right, because he cut off the the ear of the, the servant of the high priest. Who was the other one who had the, the sword? Well, we don't really know. I'm going to suggest it was James um, because the Lord in that situation, in the record in Matthew, says those who take up the sword will die by the sword. So it may have been Peter had the sword and, well, maybe James was the other one. And looking at the, the narrative and the sort of personality that he was, I could certainly imagine James as also having a, a sword to protect Christ. But those men, and James particularly, which is our focus, were part of the inner circle, three friends that Christ had who were very close to him. Peter, James and John, those three disciples, were the closest human companions that Jesus had on this earth. All right, so again, we know about Peter, we know about John, but James somehow seems to be a bit elusive, doesn't he? But he was one of the closest of three men that Christ had to him in Christ's life on this earth. So very special people. And maybe we need to think about that. Would you, would you be selected by Christ? Like if Christ was moving about us here, would he account us as a close friend? I mean, that's, this is the level these men were operating at. Jesus resonated with them. And so they were taken into various situations with the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer says this, James was so on fire for God that he disregarded all things human, he achieved unspeakable prowess and was immediately deemed worthy of martyrdom. So that's why Herod Agrippa took him out of the way, because he was leading the pack, we might say. He was very robust in his conversation. So his life, back, we'll just come back to Acts chapter 12, his life was immediately terminated. And that impressed the Jews. And then, you know, moving on to Peter now, well, what's going to happen to Peter? So Acts 12, we already read this record in verse 2. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. But have a look at verse 17. Because there's another James that now comes in the record. I think it's quite amazing how God works in, in, in the life of the ecclesia. Uh, and this is Peter. He turns up at the door. Everyone's astonished. Verse 17. Um, he says, look, I've escaped from prison Go and show, and now here it comes, James and the brethren. So, hmm, this is another James. All right, so we want to talk about this other James because, well, without being too confusing, there's four James in the New Testament, okay? So we've just talked about one, which is uh, the son of Zebedee, which was James. Okay, we, we've got his, his comment here. His mum was uh, Salome. Uh, she was the sister to Jesus' mother, Mary. So there's a little interesting family connection going on here. Then there was another apostle 
called James the Less or James the Little. So actually, of the 12 apostles, two of them were called James. So, you know, quite amazing. Uh, and again, his connection was interesting. He was the son of Mary, the wife of Cleopas, uh, or also Alpheus, same name. And uh, he, historians tell us he was uh, the brother of Joseph. So, again, another interesting family connection. Then there was a, a James, uh, the brother of Judas, Thaddeus, or Labaius. Now, you know, that's one person. He's called by a number of different names. He was, again, an apostle. This is just his brother. Don't know why he's recorded. We know nothing about him, but, you know, he's just mentioned in the scripture. And then this is this one here that we're talking about here in verse 17. James, the Lord's brother, or the Lord's half-brother. Uh, he's the brother of Jude, who wrote the epistle. And being mentioned first, of course, we think he's the old, he appears to be the eldest in the, the family of Jesus, his half-brothers. So, you know, there's a, there's a number of, of James. This one, particularly here in verse 17, steps into, in, in a sense, the shoes of James. Uh, and he, as the half-brother, he now takes priestly in the ecclesia and guides it through some very turbulent times. So let's now create a snapshot of James number two, James the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's mentioned in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. So this is sort of the natural half-brother of Jesus Christ who came into the truth. What's quite interesting about Acts 1 and verse 14 is he's now converted to the truth and it says the disciples are there and Christ's brethren and his, and his mother. So there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, we would actually have three Jameses in that record. Right, two uh, who were the apostles and one the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So quite a few James in the record. Um, we've already said that he was converted to Christ. So he's distinguished in 1 Corinthians 15 as not one of the apostles, but he's the half-brother of Christ. So he's distinguished from the 12. And it says there that Jesus Christ appeared to James, a special personal conversation after his resurrection. You sort of think, well, that's distinctive, that's unique, why would that happen? Well, it would appear that James obviously has lived with the Lord Jesus Christ and as the eldest brother, he came to understand and to appreciate and to accept that Jesus Christ truly was the Messiah and he played a leadership role in the natural family and Christ saw a potential in his other half-brother had a conversation with him after he was resurrected, and that, of course, was the, the catalyst for a remarkable change in James, the Lord's brother. And you'll remember back in the Gospel records, it talks about a situation where um, Christ's mother stood with her sons outside and they wanted to have a conversation with Christ because they thought he was getting carried away with his mission work. And so James is amongst that. He was sort of, in a sense, an unbeliever, and now he's gone through a whole conversion process. Um, he's also mentioned as James, the half-brother of Christ, in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 5, possibly married, because Paul uses him as an example of where we've got the opportunity to, to work in the service of the truth with our wives, as he says the brethren of Christ do. So there's, there's a reference there. An interesting one. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, we won't go there, but you'll see on this reference here, it says, and this is Paul talking, I didn't see any of the other apostles except, and he makes a specific mention, I saw James, the half-brother of the Lord. All right, so this is after he'd been in Arabia for three years. Paul had been struggling with Christianity. 
thrown down on his way to Damascus, Damascus Revelation. He's now spent three years in Arabia. He comes back to Jerusalem after three years and he says, I didn't see anyone, uh, but particularly I saw James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why this James? Why did he see? Why did he make a comment about that? Why this special visitation? Because they both went through that process of conversion. All right, so James, the half-brother of Christ, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but he'd made that transition. And so here's the Apostle Paul, earlier Saul, who never believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and he'd gone through that same process. So they synergised in their life in Christ. They had a similar background. They conversed. They found fellowship. They found connection together. And let's remember, James, the half-brother of Christ, has spent 25 years with Jesus. Growing up, because Jesus' ministry was only you know, three years, three and a half years. So James, the half-brother of Christ, had spent more time with Jesus than all of the apostles. Spent 25 years growing up with Christ. So he definitely knew the man. And of course, that conversion process had happened. So there's, there's a conversation that happens between Saul, who converted to brother Paul, and James, the half-brother of Christ. And they found they had a similar pattern of life. And maybe you do, you know, maybe that's why we connect with different young people because we find they've gone through similar experiences and we're sort of on the same wavelength and so we, we find some resolution in that. So we see that in this particular circumstance. James, half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, had come to terms with his historical background and now moving forward. That's sometimes a challenge for us, particularly as young people, to think, well, you know, what can I ever, can I ever achieve the kingdom? I'm not sure I can with what I've done in life. You know, it's the, the weight of historical activity is so burdensome to me. And then we meet someone who may have gone through the same process, but they've moved forward. We think, yeah, I can attach myself to that person because they can help me along the pathway as well. So what else do we know? Snapshot of James. What else do we know? Well, he is fully involved in supporting the Jerusalem Ecclesia. It says he transitioned into becoming a pillar in the Ecclesia. So again, here's the elder brother, Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, in the family, eldest now, and he's transitioned into becoming someone solid, someone supportive, uh, as we see you know, in this reference here, go and tell James, um, in the ecclesia. And as well as that, of course, in Galatians uh, chapter 2, there he's, he's mentioned as well, um, with James, Peter and John, who are pillars in the ecclesia. Now that James there... Is obviously not James the Apostle because he's already dead. So this is James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ and was held uh, in, in, in great respect. And in Acts 15, James, the half-brother of Christ, was integral to maintaining and bringing on board ecclesial fellowship. So let's, let's just wind back a little bit and think about this for ourselves. James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, had transitioned into being a pillar and a supportive and being fully involved in the ecclesia. And that was his primary role. A little bit later on, we're going to go to Acts 15 and, and have a look at that. But he steps into the, the shoes of James, who has just lost his life. Now, let's think about ourselves. Sometimes we've got to step into other people's shoes. Right? The older brothers and sisters, like myself... You know, we're not going to be here forever. And if our Lord doesn't return, you guys will be stepping into my shoes. Actually, they're pretty nice shoes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, well, I can't get them up on the platform. But anyway, 
So, you know, this is, this is James half He steps into the shoes of James the Apostle because he's, he's off the scene now and he moves forward in ecclesial law. And this is the responsibility that you all have. There may be tasks that you feel reticent or unqualified to do. You know, look at some of the brothers and sisters and their, their involvement in ecclesial life. You think, wow, that's amazing. I could never do that. Well, you know what? You might be asked to. You might have to. And there's only one thing that compels us to step into somebody else's shoes, and it's not our own skills. It's our love and appreciation of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That's called standing up for Christ. And James, the half-brother of the Lord, who, who transitioned from an unbeliever into being a pillar in the ecclesia, is really a pattern for life for ourselves. You know, we, we may be asked to do things that we don't feel comfortable with. So the point is, you can change and become the person God wants you to be. I think that's the lesson of, of James. You can change and you can become the person that God wants to, to achieve in you. And you will, of course, if you allow the word of God to affect your conscience. It will transform you as it did James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to come just across a few pages to Acts chapter 15 and just unpack, of course, what James was involved in in the Jerusalem conference. You'll probably know the background, uh, that there was, there was a lot of confusion going on um, the, the introduction talks about uh, destabilisation of the ecclesia. I mean, we've all experienced that in life where there have been issues that have arisen and we think, oh no, this is, this is going to fragment the ecclesial world. Well, James held it together. Right? So a magnificent character, James, the half-brother of Christ, he held the whole thing together. And I want you to pick up a couple of little points here in uh, Acts chapter 15, another little colouring exercise if you haven't done it. And this is the word brethren. It's interesting that James comes from the family of Jesus Christ and therefore he understood you know, how interrelational activity happened in, within families and how important brothers and sisters are, particularly in our ecclesial life. So you'll notice it just says certain men. Well, they were actually brethren from Jerusalem who wanted to say, well, circumcision is the critical factor. You won't achieve the kingdom if you haven't got that. And now this notable brethren are going to oppose that. And James has to hold it all together because it had... You know, it had the possibility of just fragmenting and falling apart. So James held, in a sense, the whole thing together. And you'll notice right through this narrative, this word brethren. It's used more in this chapter um, than, than any other place in, in Scripture. So James, his behaviour, his attitude in this meeting shows the sensitivity to other brothers and sisters. Now, that's important that as young people, you have that. And I say this because when we're young, we think it's all about me, about who I am. You know, if the ecclesia doesn't like that, well, they've got to learn to deal with it. So sometimes that can be our attitude as young people. You know, this, you know we need to change the ecclesia. It's old-fashioned. They've got all these old traditions. It's just terrible. We need to, you know, reinvent them. So sometimes it's all about me. And we've got to realise that, well, no, it's not. We've got to somehow achieve a balance so that we can all progress happily towards the kingdom. And James is doing this. You know, he's obviously had some conversations with Christ and his other brothers, and they probably weren't always happy conversations, but now he's reached a maturity where he can bring all those elements together. That, that's your role in the ecclesia, your future role, is to make sure we have all that balance correctly in place. And, of course, very beautifully, we're not going to go to James's epistle at all. Uh, it's beyond the scope of our talk tonight. But, again, it's mirrored... Uh, in James's epistle. So what he's doing here, he writes about in his epistle as well. 
and he uses the term my brethren, Adelphos, which is where we get our name, because Adelphians, brothers and sisters in Christ. So family was very meaningful. Family was very meaningful for James, spiritual family I'm, I'm talking about. And so he uses that term in his epistle, my brothers. So that was particularly important. But what did James do in this uh, little section here? Well, you'll notice here in verse 13, James gives the summary, pulls it all together. Verse 13 of Acts 15, after they held their peace, James stands up and he says, men and brethren, now listen to me. So he's now going to give a summary. And it's just interesting, if you're not sure what the chapter is about, this is what it's about. There's four men who stand up, three sections. Peter stands up first. And he talks about Cornelius. God's rubber-stamped Gentiles to be in the kingdom. Example, Cornelius. So that's Peter's speech. And then Barnabas and Paul stand up and they talk about, well, the present now. We're on mission work in Galatia and there are brothers and sisters coming in the truth. They're Gentiles and God's accepting them. The Holy Spirit gifts have been imparted to them. So they do with the present. And then James brings forward a couple of scriptures from Jeremiah and Amos. He said, well, the Bible says in the future Gentiles will flock to the kingdom. So, you know, obviously he had a, a deep understanding of what the scriptures were all about. He could pull it all together in that final meeting. So, as far as James is concerned, what a wonderful brother. And in his epistle, he wrote about trial and affliction and how we deal with it. And his words obviously uh, resonated with the activity and the experiences of his own life. And maybe it does with ours as well, because we struggle with things that happen in our lives, don't we? I can't understand it. You know, how come James the Apostle died so quickly when he had so much potential? Well, James, the half-brother of Christ, says, look, brothers and sisters, young people, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. They're good for us. They change us. Realise that they come to test your faith and produce in you the quality of endurance. And he says, let that process continue till it's fully developed and you'll be, you'll be found to be men and women of, of maturity. So James, of course, uh, later in life, wrote that in such a wonderful way. And as well as that, again, we're not going to go through his little epistle, but there's a snapshot. You'll know James talks about faith and how it works. Uh, and there's a summary of the five chapters. He says it produces, it proves, it points, it promises and it pleads. All those elements there. So that was from the pen of James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, Jude is the next epistle, who was also um, a half-brother of Christ. And he writes about that in his epistle as well. There's a little interesting, I'm going to just wrap it up now with a, uh, a snapshot of what we've talked about tonight. But a little interesting thing about the ossuary of James. So this is the bone box. So, you know, people died, they waited for the, the flesh to decompose, and they put all their bones in a box. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know, just hobby or something or other. But anyway, this is the ossuary of James. Now, supposed to be. Now, there's a bit of a, a little bit of dispute about its authenticity. But it was it discovered about 20 years ago, 2002, I think, and they've done a lot of tests on it. Obviously, the ossuary has come from the time period of Jesus Christ because the writing on there um, are in Aramaic, and, they, and I'm just reading a little paragraph here. They show a cursive form of writing used only from 10 to 70 AD. And it's noted by a paleographer that it dates, the writing dates AD 63. So interesting. Some people say it's a forgery. Some people say it's authentic. 
on the inscription here, it's got reading from right to left, Yaakov or James, son of Joseph and brother of Yeshua Jesus. So I don't know, is it true or not? Um, not quite sure. But either way, it's sort of interesting to read about and there's a lot of um, scientific um, testing that they've done on it and the scientific fields are, are divided as to whether it's authentic or not. Makes no difference to us. Because there's two Jameses we've talked about tonight that are outstanding examples, aren't they? And I want to now finish off with just some questions for ourselves about uh, what we've talked about tonight and how, well, maybe we need to challenge ourselves. So James was passionate for Christ and he died for his beliefs. Question, how committed are we to standing up for Christ? You know, hey, winter, it's cold. I don't want to go to study class Wednesday night. I might be, you know, I mean, I've got to get in the car. I might even get wet by a few drops of rain. And then I've got to sit in an air-conditioned hall and thumb up, you know, three or four Bible quotes. I mean, it's terrible. So, you know, James's level of commitment, where do we situate ourselves? Because, you know, we've, we've got, we want to be in the kingdom, don't we? So, you know, we, we've got to have that passionate, that passionate belief that James had as well and that commitment, which will develop in our lives. We'll be able to strengthen ourselves as we go through those testing times. James's life was short but it teaches us the value of a deep love, but not necessarily a long life. No guarantees that you will have a long life at all. No guarantees. But you can give the guarantee that you'll give a depth to your love of Jesus Christ and the Father. That's up to you to demonstrate in your life. James had a very strong blood bond with his brother John. Do we have strong and positively valuable friendships? The people that we're circulating the people we connect to, are they good for us? Are they helpful to us? The other James we talked about uh, changed and became a respective, supportive pillar in the ecclesia. Are you working to become an example of enthusiastic steadfastness? You can do it. I mean, James, as the half-brother of Christ, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe he was the Messiah, but he transitioned into someone who was really supportive in the ecclesia. If he could do it, well, we can do it as well. He welded together brothers and sisters in a cooperative spirit of togetherness fellowship. He was sensitive across the board to, to a whole range of different approaches to the truth and he was able to blend them and build them and draw them together. Is that a role you could do helping and encouraging others? Well, they're the takeaways, young people, of just two amazing characters joined together by the same name, James, that compel us and encourage us to step into their shoes. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. 
Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.